Last Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Brendan brought us a fine sermon on the love of God. Uh, If you remember, he took us to Romans chapter 5 and led us through verse 8. We uh, thought about the nature of God's love, the recipients of God's love, and the proof of God's love. And I, for one, was blessed by once again meditating on the love of God that was shown to me in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm sure you were blessed as well. This morning, I'd like to continue on the theme of love. But this time, we're going to consider our love for one another. And so to that end, could you please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 13. Our text this morning is just a a few words in one verse, but I'd like to take the opportunity to read the whole chapter. It's It's a beautiful chapter and definitely worth taking the time to read aloud in our meeting this morning. I'll read and then I'll pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts as we sit under the ministry of his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful reading of scripture this morning. Thank you for telling us plainly what love is. I ask now that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to give us a fuller and more comprehensive understanding of love. I pray that he would shine the light upon our love and help us understand where we might be doing well and where we might be falling short. Father, I pray that you would make these next few moments profitable to us. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Christian lady who lives in another city, and we were talking about her family, her work, and her church. I asked her how her husband was going. Uh, They live in an outer suburb, and he has quite a commute to work every day. He works hard and uh, is probably not remunerated as well as people who work in, in other professions. This lady and her husband have been married for seven years. Uh, They have a family and they're trying to make their way in life just like everyone else is. They've got a mortgage, uh, they're involved in their church, they've got some kids, uh, their life is busy, their life is full. As we were talking about her husband, she said something that made a real impression on me. She said, he's good to us. He's good to us, meaning he's good to me and the kids. Isn't that a compliment? Isn't that high praise when a wife says this about the man who is her husband and the father of her children? Now, I'm sure we've all heard people say this about a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a grandparent or a friend or a work colleague or perhaps even a boss. Now, such and such, he was... Good to me, or she was good to me. When this lady said this about her husband, what what she meant was that he fulfills his duties as a husband and a father. He is faithful in terms of those base level responsibilities that pertain to being a spouse and a father. He provides for her and the children. He puts food on the table, a roof over their heads and clothes on their backs. He provides leadership in the home and security and discipline. But of course she meant more than that, didn't she? She also meant that he is thoughtful and caring and gentle and Kind, he, he goes out of his way to look after her and the children to, to bless them and make them happy. That's what we mean when we say this, don't we? He's good to me, she's good to me. It, it, this includes a basic level of courtesy and respect, yes, but it, it goes beyond that. It, it means that a, a person is kind to us. They deliberately do things to benefit us, to enrich our lives, to give us opportunities. They do things to make us happy. If I were having a a conversation with you, would you say this about your spouse? Now, when I was talking to this lady, I didn't press her to make this comment about her husband. She just said it. It was a most natural thing for her to say. Could you say it with all sincerity? Uh, Would you say it without being prompted or would I have to push you? He's good to me. She's good to me. Do do you think your spouse would say that about you? Now sure, you might be faithful in discharging your duties as a spouse and a parent. You might tick all the boxes in terms of basic responsibilities. But would they say that you are good to them would your children say this about you your friends would your work colleagues say this oh yes such and such he's good to me she's good to me are we really 
good to each other? That's the question I want us to consider this morning. Maybe we think we are. Maybe we think we're a a great husband, a great wife, a great friend. But when we hold ourselves up to the light of Scripture, maybe we're not. Maybe we fall short. Maybe what everyone sees at church is not a true reflection of what your marriage is really like or your relationship with your kids or your, your friendships. What we're talking about this morning is one of the attributes of love. And I mean it's, it's an attribute of true love. Love as God defines it. And he has the right to define it because he invented it. He, he is the source of love. He is love. We find this attribute of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Charity, or love, suffereth long and is kind. And this brings us to the first of two parts this morning. Love is kind. And we'll spend most of our time on the second part. All I want to do here is very quickly talk about the word that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses to explain what love is. Uh, The Greek word translated kind is only found here in the New Testament. Uh, It's the word kreistuomai. I've put it in the outline for you. It means to show oneself useful or to act benevolently. I think this English word benevolent helps us understand this Greek word. Uh, Benevolent comes from two Latin words. Bene meaning well and volantum meaning to wish or to will. It means wishing or willing to do well to someone. That's the basic idea of this Greek word Paul uses. It means to intentionally be useful to someone, to deliberately benefit them in some way. And this is love. When the Bible says that love is kind, this is what it's getting at. And this Greek word that only occurs here in the New Testament belongs to a family of words that carry the same basic idea. And I've put two of uh, those words in the outline. Uh, even if you don't read Greek, you can see the similarities. There is the word Christotes and the word Christos. And the reason I mention these is because if we're going to have a, a more comprehensive understanding of what it means to say that love is kind, we need to follow these words through our Bible, and in particular, we need to see how they are used in relation to God. The kindness of God is where we need to focus in order to learn about kindness and to assess this aspect of the love that we show to others. If we're going to answer the question, are we really good to each other? We need to understand what being good to each other actually involves. And so that brings us to the second part of our sermon, the kindness of God. Now, as we follow these words through the New Testament and see how they are used in relation to God, we learn three things. First of all, we learn that the kindness of God is demonstrated by his provision. This is the verse we looked, looked at back in May last year in our study through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6 verse 35. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind, there's our word, unto the unthankful and to the evil. 
God is kind not just to those who love and worship him. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And Jesus said this to reinforce his command to love our enemies and do good to them. What form does this kindness take? How is God good even to the unthankful and the evil? Well, Jesus said a similar thing in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God provides life-giving sunshine and life-giving rain to the evil and the good, to the just and the unjust. This is his benevolence to all men everywhere. He gives them this world. He gives them the creation that sustains them and that even brings them pleasure. God is kind to us. Every time we open the fridge, every time we open the pantry or go to the supermarket and there is food. God is kind to us every time we turn on the tap and there is water. God is kind to us every time we go to the pharmacy and there is medicine. I think you get the point. This is the kindness of God in its most basic sense, providing for people's needs and This is how we are truly good to those we love. We we meet their needs. And I don't think this is any great revelation. This is that base level of responsibility that we have as husbands and wives and parents. This is the realm of duty or obligation. And the Bible is very clear about this. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, we read this, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. This is also part of belonging to a church family, part of being a friend. Where we can and where it's appropriate, we meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We cook for them when they're sick. We give them a few dollars when they're struggling financially. We mind the kids when they're exhausted and so forth. It's, it's basic. This is being good to each other 101. I think we all understand what I've just laid out. But what I want us to pay special attention to here is the fact that God demonstrates his kindness in this way, irrespective of the attitude and the behavior of its recipients. What does our verse say? He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. This is great love, isn't it? He keeps on providing sun and rain, food and drink to those who never say thank you. To those who deliberately and gladly break his laws. He provides all of this even to those who deny his very existence. And perhaps this is where we begin to see that our love, our kindness, is not quite what we think it is. We're not as good to each other as we think we are. 
Someone has a need, I could meet it, but they haven't been very nice to me lately. They haven't treated me particularly well, so I'll withhold my kindness and I'll make an excuse. You know, I could do the washing up tonight and uh, give my wife some much-needed time to do something else, but she hasn't been particularly warm to me lately. She snapped at me on the way out the door this morning. She, she didn't acknowledge what I did for her, for her last week. She didn't thank me for that little sacrifice I made. And so, no, I'm, I'm not going to meet that need. I'm not going to be kind to her tonight. She can do the washing up. Now, there are a thousand variations on this scenario I think you get what I'm saying. Could it be that our kindness does not extend to the unthankful and the unjust, even in our own homes? He's not thankful, so I'm not kind. She's unjust, so I don't go out of my way to meet her needs. She hasn't been a great friend of late, so I'll just happen to be too busy to help her with the kids this week. Oh, brothers and sisters, God's kindness is not like that. True love doesn't behave this way. Do you? The kindness of God is demonstrated by his provision. Secondly, we learn that it is expressed by his patience. We see this in Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 2, he talks about the self-righteous person who judges others for their sins, but who does exactly the same things. Verse 3, Paul is very straight. He says, Romans chapter 2, verse 3, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And then verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Here we find our words translated as goodness. The first goodness is translated from the Greek word Christotes, and the second goodness is the word Christos. The, the, The reference is to the kindness or the benevolence of God. And what form does it take here? In what way is God said to be kind in this context? Well, it includes what we've just talked about in terms of his provision, but... What's in particular focus here is God's patience. We have these two words, forbearance and long-suffering. Overall, the sense is of God being good to this self-righteous man by blessing him and by putting up with his rebellion, withholding his judgment for the purpose that he might repent. A parallel idea is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men would count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, would not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, to state this very simply, God puts up with a lot for a long time in order to give sinful men and women the opportunity to repent and receive the grace of forgiveness and everlasting life. Psalm 7 verse 11 tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day and yet he withholds his judgment from so many for a long season. Now the forbearance of God is really quite remarkable. And the kindness of God is expressed by his patience. That's what we see here in Romans chapter 2. And again, I don't think this is a new revelation. 
I'm sure we've all heard a testimony along the lines of, you know, my father or, or my mother, you know, she was so good to me, she was so patient. You know, I did so many stupid things. I disappointed her so many times. I didn't listen. I got into all kinds of trouble, but she was always there for me. The door was always open. There was always a hot meal and a sympathetic ear and a few dollars. Maybe this is your testimony. We know almost instinctively that patience is an inseparable part of what it means to be kind, of what it means to truly love someone. And this is where, once more, we need to to hold up the love that we have for others to the light of God's love. God is kind in this way and love is kind in this way. Are we? Of course, we could never be as patient as God is, but are we patient at all? Do do we bear with the faults and the flaws and the mistakes that our loved ones make? Are we gracious and tender in the face of disappointment and hurt when we're offended, when we've been mistreated? Or do we have very little patience? Do we lose our temper? Do we argue with our spouse? Shout at the, the, the kids, tell off that friend. Perhaps we go the other way and give people the cold shoulder. We shut down, we withdraw from them, we reject them. In Colossians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit, by the pen of the Apostle Paul, commands Christians to put on patience, to, to put up with each other. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This is what it means to be good to each other. To practice this forbearing and forgiving. To put on humility and meekness and long-suffering. This is patience. And it starts at home. It's husbands forbearing and forgiving their wives. And wives forbearing and forgiving their husbands. And parents forbearing and forgiving their children. And then it spreads out into our life together as the family of God. I hope this is so. I hope we are forbearing and forgiving one another because if this is not the case, if we're not patient with each other, then we are in big trouble. And so as we follow the kindness of God through our New Testament, we see that it is demonstrated by his provision, it is expressed by his patience, and then thirdly we learn that it is revealed in a person. And I'm sure this comes as no surprise. Please, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. As you know, here the Apostle Paul is unfolding the gospel. He writes famously about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he talks about the experience of God's grace for those who are Christians. Look please at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Verse 4. 
But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Sinners. By nature, the children of wrath. That, that's what we deserve for breaking God's law. We deserve his wrath. We deserve judgment. But God reached down to us in mercy and made us alive with Christ. His resurrection from the dead was our resurrection from the dead. From spiritual death and one day from physical death. God raised us up and seated us with Jesus in heavenly places. That's an incredible statement. It speaks of our present privileges with God and of our future residence in heaven. That brings us to verse 7. This is the the purpose. This is the, the reason why God acted in love and mercy, why he made us alive. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And here's our word, Christotes, kindness. God has acted in this fashion in order to put on display for all eternity the greatness of his grace. He wants the creation to know forever and ever that he is a gracious God and worship him as such. His grace is seen in his kindness toward us. And that kindness, this marvellous salvation has come to us how? What does verse 7 say? Through Christ Jesus. God's kindness is seen supremely in Jesus. It has been demonstrated to us in no greater way than through the incarnation, life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul said a similar thing in his letter to Titus. Listen to chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared. The kindness and love of God toward man takes many forms. We've already talked about his provision. We've talked about his patience. To this we might add his word. But what in particular is Paul talking about here? Or or rather, who is Paul talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man that appeared, that was manifest. The incarnate Son of God, the great gift of God. He is the very embodiment of God's kindness. And we know this from what Paul went on to say to Titus. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. The kindness and the love and the mercy of God was poured out on us abundantly through Jesus 
Christ, by who Jesus is and by what he accomplished on our behalf. And so, if we want to know what it means to be kind, if we're going to understand this vital part of loving each other, then we need to look to Jesus. Jesus was gentle and gracious and humble. And above all, he was self-sacrificing. He said no to himself so that he might benefit others. And as we well know, that took him all the way to the cross. There he surrendered his peace of mind. He gave up his rights. He poured out his blood to be useful to us. To do us Good, And if we are going to truly be good to each other, then this is what it will take. Love is kind. And to be kind means there are many times where we have to say no to ourselves. We have to say no to ourselves in order to help our spouse, in order to encourage our children, in order to meet the need of a friend or a colleague. And this is exactly where so much of what passes for love in our world today is utterly deficient. There is a lack of kindness because people will very rarely say no to themselves. Will you? Do you? Do you lay aside what you want, your pleasures, your goals, your plans, so that you might be useful, kind to your spouse or to your children, to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is your love for others stained by an ugly streak of selfishness? Demonstrated by his provision, expressed by his patience and ultimately revealed in a person. This is the kindness of God. And this is what we must carefully consider if we're going to understand what it means when the Bible says that love is kind. Are we really good to each other? Now, are we good to each other behind closed doors? In our marriages, in our Family life. Are we really good to each other here in the body of Christ? In the relationships that we have with one another in this assembly? I certainly hope so. Amen.